hard, guys, for this uh, this podcast. I have Catherine on. Uh, this is amazing. I love, 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 love their whole conversation. And she has a pretty interesting resume. Uh, so bear with me because so, I think it's going to take a minute or two. Um, but she is a journalist. She is an interviewer, a copywriter, uh, a producer, a world explorer. And, and we'll get to that in the podcast. But she is interviewed um, hundreds of Oscar, Emmy, Grammy, Nobel winners. Um, and listing the people um, that are within those lists are going to be like James Frankel, Michael Douglas, Jeffrey Rush, Sam Rockwell, Melissa Leo, um, Sir Ian McKellen, um, Alan Cumming, Tony Kushner, John Shanley, Kevin Clean, Emily Blunt, Josh Brolin, Ethan Hawke. Simon Pegg, Josh Hutcherson, uh, the one that got me really excited that I didn't get to ask her about in the interview was Tom Hiddleston. I thought that was dope. Um, and the Dalai Lama, which is fucking sick. I was like, what? But yeah, I mean, and she's also the host of the Mind the Future podcast. Um, and some of her clients include Universal, Apple, Amazon, NBC, Universal, Disney, MGM, Sony, National Geographic, BBC America, ABC, NBC, Universal, E! News, Hallmark, Telefilm, BBC America, Paramount, etc. And so much more. Like, uh, she's been featured in the New York Times, The Guardian, Washington Post. I'm just going to end it there. There, there. There's so much. You can just go on her website uh, and you'll find a bunch of stuff. I'll, I'll make sure to link that in there. Um this podcast we talked about a lot of interesting things just her journey throughout life how she accidentally became uh or i guess grew into the position that she's in um just her life experiences her wisdom and if you're listening uh, i was about to call you cat even though you just told me not to call you cat <laughs> but i'm just saying no, i'm just kidding Catherine. uh i forgot where i was going shit see for everyone listening and for you as well this is the perfect explanation as to why I'm an idiot <laughs> and why I say I'm an idiot. I forgot what I was going to say, but enjoy this podcast. You guys are going to enjoy this. Also, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, well, I'm already started recording, but I'm, I'm going to be honest. That was fucking hilarious. And you're like, I guess I'll record myself <laughs> <laughs> or interview myself. Well, that could be that could be a very interesting uh, episode. I think I would do a terrible job of it, um, and particularly, I think if I knew there was an audience there, like you uh -huh. were listening, even though you couldn't talk, I probably could go on for a while and ham it up. But I think that if it was just me talking to myself, this will not go very well. <laughs> I think you, I think you do solid for a good minute. Uh, I mean, you've done. I mean, yes, I think I can handle a minute. Yeah. No, longer than that. You've done comedy, huh? No. <laughs> no? Oh, so you're just like an avid fan of uh, comedy then? I am an avid fan of comedy. You know, I do comedy sitting down. I don't do stand standing up. <laughs> what, uh, expectations. what, um, what fields have you done? Um, comedy. I know you've done skits before, right? For producing. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've, uh, field produced some skits um mm. i for some of the stuff that i've done uh for my film kind of stuff uh there's like a a skit for comic-con that i um helped put together i didn't write it though um someone else did 
That's still really cool. I, I want to get into that. But for the for the people listening, we'll start off with this. Do you mind giving us a little breakdown for um, for who you are and what you've done? Because you've got a pretty successful resume that, that I, I do. I am curious for um, or I want people to, to hear out. Sure. Um, I'm I'm still trying to figure out who it is that I am. <laughs> but I've uh, you know, I, I, I guess I consider myself a storyteller just because that encompasses so many of the things that I've done. Um, so one of those things is that I'm, I've been a journalist, um, a, an interviewer being my main thing. So I've interviewed a lot of different people and I've written for Variety and The Washington Post, Guardian, Esquire. CNN and even Playboy, um, which I'm, you know, w- back when it was still in print. Uh-huh. And um, I've written about spies and movies and travel and technology. And then I've also done other things like, yeah, field producing uh, content, especially for behind the scenes kind of content for film and television and even, I don't know, red carpet interviews, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a little bit outside of my comfort zone. But um you know, it's it's interesting to figure out how to get someone to connect with you and give you a good answer when you have very little time and you, you're in this very superficial environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also worked as a unit publicist a bit, um, working on some shows like uh, Jack Ryan for Amazon, which was filmed uh, in Morocco and Paris and Montreal and Washington, D.C., which was really fun. And it's in the spy genre, which is yeah. like my favorite thing. And also... Um, I also, and shows like Men in the High Castle and lots of other things, um, a raunchy comedy even called Good Boys, which is uh, Seth Rogen's, um, he was producing that. That's so freaking, that's that's extremely dope. I mean, I want to ask you this, like, you were mentioning that you didn't really have too much time to, to work with and, and you were in a superficial environment. How much time did you have on average for, for a lot of those interviews? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, when I was first starting out, I had lots of time, you know, I'd meet yeah. with people and I'd have these intimate conversations and, and usually in person and it would be hour or more or hours, but they weren't as famous. And the more famous the people get, the less time I find that you have. Oh, okay. um, so, you know, it, but usually I'll have somewhere between you know, it could be 15 to 20 minutes. I mean, okay. sometimes they're really short interviews. Sometimes it's an hour. Um, sometimes I still get occasionally to do almost a day. I had like half a day with, with certain individuals, mm-hmm. but that's very rare. Um, and then uh, on like a red carpet or something, that's, you know, a minute. That's what <laughs> I was thinking. a couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's so fast, and it's not—it's not how I—I I, I prefer much more in-depth conversations. And you—you've um, probably seen my uh, my futurist podcast. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love that I can have a conversation that's about an hour or so mm-hmm. uh, with someone versus you know one or two minutes. And they're just inherently environments where like everyone's lined up and is doing these interviews and is asking really terrible questions, including myself. Cause my questions often get given to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, in regards to, I guess the originality of the questions, how often are they, are they, are they yours or how often are they handed down to, um, I guess what somebody scripts out for you? 
Sure. Um, well, I mean, for the red carpet interviews, those are the ones that I had scripted. Everything else is usually just me writing the questions. That's definitely a big part of my enjoyment mm -hmm. of it is researching, creating the questions. And often it's not even so much about the question itself as it is about how you ask it, how you engage with someone. Uh, you can ask the exact same question, but you're going to get different responses depending how you approach the, the human. That's actually really interesting. I didn't, because that, that actually kind of leads up to the next question I was about to ask you. So you kind of already partially answered that, but ah, I was, interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I'm like, what's like the biggest takeaway that you've learned as an interview? Like, I mean, you've been in that position for so long and then that's, this is a more, more obviously a personal question, but I am really curious, I guess, other than that, of course. <laughs> um. I mean, for me, um, the reason that I really love doing interviews is because, every, you know, because I get to learn so much. So for me, it's always about the research and every person is, is in a unique, their own individual and is sort of like a puzzle, right? You're trying to figure out how to get through to that person and connect with them in a way that's real and not just some sort of a... Uh, you know, superficial relationship, which a lot of times it is, and there's a psychology element to it and to, to put somebody at ease. But also you don't want someone to feel so comfortable and relaxed that they're going to fall asleep or be boring, right? Yeah. So it's about how do you get that person to a heightened point mm -hmm. in, in how they, when they feel sort of excited, but they're themselves and they're comfortable being themselves, but they're also excited. And I think that's sort of the key to, to a really good interview, mm -hmm. um, as are the questions, but I think more so the listening and the interaction, because I get nervous still, uh, when I do interviews, um, you know, I'll prepare, I have them written down on a uh -huh. piece of paper and my questions written down. And I never look because somehow they do seep into my brain because the moment that I look, it breaks the, you know, the sense that this is a conversation. And also you want to be able to adjust and, and pivot depending on what the answer is mm -hmm. um, and, and really be in the moment and listen and not just think, okay, that's my next question. Oh, I missed that. And sometimes, and you have to be free that the way, you know, I, I when I come up with my questions, I try to build a bit of a storyline. So there is a like a natural fluid progression, the way that somebody's thoughts might move. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's okay. You have to be open to the fact that it's going to go in a completely different direction. And if you resist it, you're going to get a very stiff interview. And if you let, allow it to happen and you're open to it, then you might get somewhere really interesting. I'm going to be really honest. I'm going to re-listen to that like four times. <laughs> you pretty much. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Seriously. You, you pretty much. No, I think that was, I think that was literally like God sent like perfectly like the most scientific way to put an interview because I mean, I didn't even think about it like that. And in regards for me, I'm just like scatterbrain and like not fluid at all. <laughs> so that's why that I, could be your thing too. I mean, I think you have, and this is something that I'm discovering for myself, mm -hmm. right? Because I, I have been used to a pretty formal way of, of, of being, and I'm not the most formal human being in general as myself. Like uh, I'm kind of quirky and I like to joke around, 
but I get nervous about it. Mm -hmm. But the things that are like the quirks and those kinds of things are those things that are really engaging and interesting about a person. And so playing to that and Mm -hmm. allowing that to happen can actually create a much better experience, especially for someone who is like a listener Mm -hmm. and finding your own voice and also, but more so just giving space to your own voice to exist is I think is, is increasingly important and, you know, I'm still trying to navigate that and figure out how to do that myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that's really. I'm still kind of like shooketh by that, but yeah, I, I think, I think you're right. I I think for the most part, I haven't really heard too many people just be themselves. Like like you were mentioning, like I heard, I've I've always heard too many people that are like too superficial for the most part, and I'm like. Well, I'm an idiot. I don't really know what I'm doing, but let's let's give it a go. <laughs> That's like pretty much been my style since I started. And I'm like, I've I've told like a handful of my friends. I'm like, this is what happens when you give an idiot some a little bit of money. <laughs> he just spends it like a kid. Well, but, but that's not a bad thing because you're going to throw someone out of the loop. I mean, the worst thing you can do is like, th- this is the toughest thing. Like to interview someone who does a lot of interviews mm-hmm. is hesitant is, or somebody who's nervous. Those mm-hmm. are the most difficult people to interview. So if you can just connect with them as a human being, that mm-hmm. kind of brings them out of that uh, shell. And I think that's really important. And then something that somebody said to me about, wasn't about, um, this was a mentor of mine uh, who was a professor. Um, when I taught university for the first time, he said his advice to me was, and I was extremely nervous. And I don't think I was that good at it in the beginning, mm-hmm. but what he said to me is like, remember, it's all about the students. It's all about them, but they're, but they can't, there can't be a them without you. And now I'm kind of, as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking about that as it relates to interviewing. And so at the end of the day, it's all about the person you're interviewing, Mm -hmm. but that can't, that moment for them can't exist without you and the you that you bring to it. I think is incredibly important. I I completely agree. That's that's really interesting. You have so much experience. I know this is just like random, but yeah, you have so much experience and you have everything written down like I guess it's all the experience that you've had from from out the years of doing this. And for me, like as a newcomer, I'm just like, what the hell is going on? I'm like, I can barely even get up in the morning properly. <laughs> and then here I am. Well, oh, same. <laughs> <laughs> Very I'm, much <laughs> are you located in LA or, or where are you located at? No, I am on the West Coast. Um, I'm currently in Canada, but I also live in New York and love New York. I feel like New York is such a great city for me because apparently psychologically, if your brain is really like fast and sort of neurotic, uh-huh. when you go to a city that's really fast, your brain just kind of feels at peace. It's great. I think I'm on, I think I should move to New York as well then because I've always had like a very like sporadic mind and I'm like so many people have told me, hey, you need to slow down. <laughs> you need you're going you're going you're sprinting. I'm like, you need to like breathe. And I'm like, maybe that explains why I'm always like stressed because like I, I, I have so much like tension in my head. I'm like, that's not good. I'm like, I'm already like I already have arthritis and I'm like 26. I'm basically <laughs> an old man already because of this. Uh-huh. Right. Oh, is that true? You actually have it? I self-diagnose. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think I have it too, but you know how it is. You Google on the internet and you're like, okay, this symptom, this symptom, yeah. this. Oh, yeah, 
Yeah, that sounds like me. Oh my god, I'm dying. Yeah, I'm like, also, oh, I have cancer. I'm dying tomorrow. Thanks, WebMD. That's pretty much like my logic. That's, that's how I, I definitely self-diagnose. But I think I've also gotten it right a number of times. Yeah. Um, because I think I have more patience for myself than my doctors do. Honestly, I get it right. yeah. Well, because you, you spend the time to pretty much do the exact research for exactly what you're feeling and you don't come to the first conclusion you see. I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of yeah. people fail on. They're like, oh, it's, it says I have so-and-so. And I'm like, well, that's you've got to do more research. The, the amount of diseases, the amount of things that are out there, I'm like, you can't just – I don't know, you know. Listen, that I found a really rare disease um, <laughs> on myself because I read some scientific papers and they completely explained the issues I was having. Oh, but I'm not going to die, so it's good. <laughs> At least not yet. That's that's the main thing. I guess before I get to New York, I wanted to ask you um, one last thing as like on a personal note. How do you how have you avoided getting nervous on your interviews because that that's something like that's never never left me and i've done about maybe like 35 podcasts i haven't posted maybe like five or ten of them i'm like getting ahead of myself i have, I have too many like that i'm waiting to push out actually but um i have some news for you it's disappointing news oh I i'm still scared <laughs> i've done hundreds of interviews yeah. it's definitely i still get nervous yeah. however i am more confident in the moment uh-huh so it's the before that makes me nervous. Mm-hmm. And as you know, then you want to prep as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Although sometimes you don't get to do as much as you want. Mm-hmm. But you go in and I think this the answer and this is the answer to a lot of things is just being really in the moment and really present. Because somehow all the prep work that you've done, it seeps through. Like like I mentioned, you know, with the questions, like I would um you know, try to memorize them mm. and I'd read them. But ultimately, I never knew if I actually knew them. And I, but having the piece of paper always helped me because mm. I knew it was there and I never look at it. But, but being really present, I think, is what takes away the nerves because nerves are really thinking about the past or it's thinking about the future. But mm. if you're present, you're not going to be really nervous. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of rhymes with what I've been feeling for the most part, because I, I do have a list uh, most of the time, but I've realized that like from my list, let's say I have like, let's just say 10 questions, right? I, most of the time I only end up saying like two or three and the rest are just off the cuff, like things, you know, like just kind of going with the conversation. But for every single person that I've had, no matter who it is, other than my friends, I've gotten pretty nervous and I'm like, Lord, does it leave? (laughs) When is it going to go away? No, (laughs) no, but you do get, I mean, I I feel like I've been talking a lot more lately, Uh Um, especially because there's certain social media platforms like Clubhouse that's Uh all voice and I really enjoy it. And I think that helps because the more you practice, you do get a little bit more articulate, I guess, Mm. and a little less nervous because if you're doing something all the time, I mean, this is what, you know, with phobias, right? The way to solve a phobia is to expose yourself to it. And there are certain ones that I have no intention of dealing with, like (laughs) fear of spiders or snakes. Yeah, no thanks. I'm I'm fine with my phobia. I'll be right there, right here in the corner with it. But if we're talking about uh, you know, things that you really want to do, mm-hmm. with, like talking to people, 
um, then you focus on that and, and, and you exposure. And then also, I mean, when you're focusing on someone else, you're not really focused on yourself. And anxiety generally comes from focusing on yourself, right? Oh. And right. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing in acting. Um, because actors are often very nervous, shy people with a lot of anxiety. And a lot of times they spend time learning how to not have that fear. And the way that you get past that is in the moment. If you're in the moment, if you're fully present and you're focused on the other person and mm -hmm. how you what it, maybe you want to convey to the other person or do to the other person, that takes away your nerves. And I think it applies to life. You're really twisting my mind right now. <laughs> because we're in the matrix. Huh? No, I said we're we're, we're in the matrix. I, I don't know. That's literally <laughs> that's literally how I feel right now because there are so many things that I've for not not even months for years that I've tried unraveling. I've tried figuring it out. I'm like, why am I always so nervous? I'm like, why are my stupid ass palms sweaty? I'm like, <laughs> I need to like stop. I need to breathe. But I guess it goes back to that. My mind's always overthinking. And that's, that's always been my biggest issue. But you pointed it out like that is that's what's like a mind fuck to me because I've never thought about it like that. So I, I think I want to say thank you. <laughs> Good. I mean, honestly, I've been thinking about these things a lot. Yeah. So it's been a lot of thought that has gone into figuring these things out because I definitely deal a lot with anxiety yeah. and, and and nerves. And I was I grew up being incredibly shy. I mean, mm -hmm. my heart would just be racing to, you know, talk to ask somebody for the time on the street. I mean, now I guess nobody does that anymore. But mm -hmm. back then we did. And, you know, making a phone call, I'm still nervous making a phone call like <laughs> that never fully left. Uh -huh. But at the same time, it just it's not as much of a hindrance. Uh -huh. And also, if there's something you really want to do, mm -hmm. then you're going to do it. You know, you're not going to let that fear stop you. And I think that's the most important thing. I remember, like, even in, in, in university, you know, raising my hand in lectures yeah but i wanted that's how i wanted to learn right i wanted I, the, the way for me to learn was to ask questions i guess that connects to journalism but mm. the way for me to learn was to ask questions and for me to ask those questions i had to raise my hand and feel uncomfortable and feel really nervous and feel my palms sweat and all of that <laughs> And people, and this is the other thing you have to keep in mind is what I've realized. People don't know that. I've done public speaking where I am absolutely terrified. I think my voice is shaking. Everything is shaking. And I think everyone can tell. Mm -hmm. And people think you, you sound confident. So it's never as bad as you think it is to the audience. Huh. When did you first start public speaking? Because that's something I've yet <laughs> to do that I've been like scared shitless of. That's why you have to do it. Um, I guess, I don't know. I've been asked to do some, you know, I, I think like I hosted some events and, mm -hmm. and uh, did some Q&As uh, for film screenings and, and interviewed people on stage. And then I, I was asked to do like a keynote. Mm -hmm. um, and I've done a couple of like talks now. And I've also uh, taught. And I always wanted to teach. That was like definitely a dream of mine. So I was teaching writing at a university uh, certificate program. And I'll tell you, like, the first time I did it, <laughs> I 
was it was going so badly mm-hmm. i was so nervous that i just wanted to go to the bathroom and not come back and this was a real thought in my head i was mm-hmm. like i'm gonna go to the bathroom and i won't come back because i i just can't can't continue mm-hmm. except then i thought well i can't really do that that's that's really really horrible and unprofessional so i kept <laughs> going and i ended up teaching that course i think for five years or six years so it did get better i learned tricks you know like powerpoint presentations i need those little cues i thought it was all these years i thought it was for the students Mm -hmm. really it's for the teacher (laughs) at least in my case yeah um i need prompts that that helps me a lot it it, i'm it's hard for me to keep going you know just some people are able to just lecture and and go on for hours and their stream of consciousness is very articulate mine is not i need to i need to have cues i'm much better at answering questions like on a panel or something like that rather than you know doing a whole speech so i need those cues that's so i i'm telling you every single thing that you're telling me right now is just like a what the hell type of moment and like I'm gonna be real honest. I mean, I'm like, I'm an obviously super formal, but like, I kind of don't care. Like, that's always been my style. But like, yeah. you're the first person that's gotten me to like every single thing that you're saying. I'm like, what in the fuck? <laughs> well, so, that's great. I I hope that's actually somewhat helpful and or at least a different way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. Um, which which is good. I guess because I I have all this anxiety and and nerve and all that I probably spend more time than the average person thinking about that Mm -hmm. especially since I do have to sort of put myself out in a place where most people with my level of anxiety probably would not Mm -hmm. I think I don't even think I've ever said publicly that I have anxiety so (laughs) here you go exclusive (laughs) here it is here it is no that's that's interesting let me ask you this as well Uh, how for someone who's like super casual super informal which is what i love i've seen you like on youtube and other things and you're super formal it's to me that's a 360 as well right now so that's kind of a trip how did you develop the skills to become more professional i don't even know that's a good question but i am like genuinely curious because i I stay as myself i'm not like the whole hi hey carl how are you doing kind of corporate vibe you know so i mean i've kind of stayed in my own lane for the most part but maybe that's just because i've avoided it too so (laughs) no but this is kind of it goes to that thing i was saying about having your own voice and Mm -hmm. finding your own voice i think actually probably my more informal nature is more authentic to who I am and probably a little bit closer to who I want to be in in that kind of public Uh sphere um but when I so but when I do the interviews I the video ones in particular on camera Mm -hmm. which is a bit newer to me so it makes me a bit more nervous Mm -hmm. and that probably causes it to be a little more formal as result gotcha and there is a part of it of like you know thinking oh that's how i need to be Mm. um whereas there's like the last one that i did and actually the last two but one that's coming up uh, or sorry one is still coming up but one i just released um and it was just audio Mm -hmm. versus video and that one i felt was a lot more me and a lot less formal and much more conversational um in a way that i like um but it's like finding your own voice is a little bit hard Mm -hmm. and the professional 
I think that's also an aspect of me because, you know, we all have to go through different, you know, we, we navigate different spaces, right? Mm -hmm. Some are uh, much more professional and formal and other spaces are more casual. And I guess there is like a chameleon like aspect to it Mm -hmm. that I think I always felt, Uh you know, with, because I, I feel like I can, I'm genuinely curious about a lot of different ty- types of people, different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And I have discovered lately that I am able to somehow get along with a really varied group of people, you know, people mm-hmm. who are like um, military or, you know, truck drivers versus, I don't know, philosophers, right? Uh-huh. So there's, there is a variety of individuals and there's something about us that kind of adjusts a little bit Mm -hmm. uh, depending on who we're talking to. And it doesn't mean that you're being inauthentic, but it does bring up a different part of yourself in wanting that comes out of wanting to engage with someone. Mm -hmm. I've, I've realized that as well because yeah, kind of how you were mentioning earlier, I have, I have been a little bit more serious, like in regards to like when I've interviewed certain CEOs um, I interviewed a philosopher as well. Uh, I was a little bit more relaxed, actually, on that one. But I've had mm. like different sides. Well, of no me. one takes philosophers seriously. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's, it's. I mean, maybe the billionaires who are hiding their tax money, maybe they do. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I have noticed that as well. L- let me ask you this. This is a different question too. Um, how was your time in New York and what did you, you accomplish? Because you've accomplished so much things and I'm assuming they weren't all just there, correct? Oh yeah, no, almost nothing was there. Uh, New York for me was just the place that I felt like such an affinity for, just mm-hmm. felt like home. And most of my days were really spent um, watching Broadway shows because <laughs> I'm a junkie. Uh-huh. Uh, food, walking, like, I don't know, nine hours a day. Uh-huh still didn't lose enough weight but that's okay that wasn't the point <laughs> and and having like these really cool experiences and stories and meeting people that were just really interesting that you pro- I probably wouldn't have had a chance to meet outside of a city like New York that is so vibrant and draws people from you know people come there there's a there's there's certainly some people who are born there but there's a lot of people who gravitate towards it so New York tends to have a certain kind of person mm-hmm. with you know, the caveat being that, uh, you know, because it's so expensive, I think it's also pushed a lot of people away because mm-hmm. it's too expensive for, you know, artists and people like that to really thrive and survive in the city. Um, so that, you know, and, and as especially as different neighborhoods, you know, like Brooklyn, for example, became really expensive mm-hmm. and really posh, uh, it, it, it really pushed a lot of people away who are are dynamic sort of contributors to the culture of the city Mm -hmm. and they had to move to other parts of the U S so that's a bit sad. (laughs) Yeah, no, that, that completely makes sense actually. Yeah. I mean, the price is fucking expensive. That's the main thing that's like stopped me personally actually from moving over there because that's been like a goal of mine for the longest. I don't really know why. I mean, I can go without that goal. I mean, like I'm fine being over here in, in SoCal, but it's always been like I wanted to like live there for a year or two just to kind of see how it is, you know. 
So I mean, well, you should do that even if you do it for three months. You mm -hmm. know, I think that's still um, you'll get a really good flavor for it. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a very different culture than California, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of people from New York have moved, <laughs> migrated to Miami, uh, huh? yeah, Miami, so Texas, Miami. Say Miami. Yeah, Miami, Texas. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, Atlanta. I know. I know a few people who moved to Atlanta, especially those um, people in the film industry. Because uh, I had a friend who was like a really a struggling, starving actress in New York. Uh -huh. Adore her, and she was like having a really hard time. She moved back to Atlanta, and and she's doing really, really well. Mm. Sometimes it's a matter of place, but it's really hard to compete in certain cities. I mean, Atlanta is probably hard to compete in as well. It mm -hmm. may have just been, you know, she's very talented and she sort of builds a niche uh, for herself. But yeah, I know a couple of people have moved to Atlanta and seem busier there than they were in um, in New York or even L.A. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Sometimes it's just opportunity strikes at different locations like right place right time right opportunity and, and so forth mm -hmm. when when you were in new york were you were you just um i guess what what were you doing were, eating like, bagels and pizza huh <laughs> eating bagels and pizza is that what you were gonna ask <laughs> yes yeah, so i was like what's your favorite pizza spot well <laughs> i do have one. Oh my gosh but i'm trying to remember the name i hope uh, i didn't go under very bad this is a problem for me and I, and I have a bagel place too but i have to say montreal bagels are the superior ones montreal bagels oh shoot yeah and i, I love i love bagels there's a really great bagel place in the bronx in uh, new york um there's also like um what is it knishes no not knishes um oh my gosh i forget what they're called but they're like these pastries that are jewish pastries uh -huh. but they but the person who runs the place is this black man who's an older man and it's like something by a brother uh -huh. <laughs> and he makes uh the best like they're so so delicious it'd be so nice and it's this tiny place in the bronx uh, -huh. uh that makes these uh pastries and they have like fillings that sounds very bad with names but we can move on <laughs> I think I, you're very descriptive with everything you're saying. I think I think I realized that's what's tripping me out because I just got really fucking hungry. <laughs> oh no! I'm just... Well, let me tell you about Jap a Japanese food. Then oh, you'll get really hungry. Oh my god! Hungry. Yes, tell, no, like dead ass. Tell me, like I'm a whore for like sushi and poke and shit, like anything of like that nature. Yeah. Oh my god! What's your favorite spot that you've had over there? Or favorite food in general in New York? Oh, well, I mean, I'm definitely into sushi, but, uh, or Japanese food uh -huh. in Japan, there is, okay. So there is some really amazing things. Um, but one thing I'll mention that's kind of unique to Kyoto is the tofu. Mm -hmm. They have tofu and, you know, tofu doesn't sound particularly appealing or glamorous, mm -hmm. but in Kyoto, they have certain types of tofu that you would never ever find here and they have like tofu ice cream and they have this Whoa. like um fried tofu that's this I, I don't even know how to describe it but it's it's this crunchy thing that they make it's just so good and they have this tofu that melts in your mouth i mean the flavors are unbelievable nothing i ever imagined tofu would taste like and then i ended up in this um ryukan which is uh, 
it's a place where you stay and there's like these hot spring baths that you take but also usually they'll give you you know your meals and the one that I ended up staying in before this whole shutdown happened um they had the the chef had like Michelin stars Mm -hmm. and what I didn't even know this but if you have the food you realize that very quickly because it was just unbelievable food just multiple courses and everything just melts in your mouth and uh-huh. it's all about the ingredients and okay I could go in forever this is bad um, Wait. I already had dinner but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I'm like I, I I had a protein shake and I was because I just came back from a workout and I'm like okay I'll eat after <laughs> but wait <laughs> s- since I'm a I'm a peasant what's what are Michelin stars Oh, okay. So um, it's just, it denotes like if, if you're, um, if the restaurant is like a really good restaurant, it, apparently it was started by the Michelin guidebook. So, which is like a tire company. Uh, oh, really? and oh, that Michelin? It is that Michelin, which is like kind of hilarious because yeah. it's this really posh status. Like it's a big deal, uh-huh. but they'll send these anonymous reviewers and the restaurants can get Michelin stars one one place that really surprised me in terms of Michelin because because it really is usually posh but occasionally they'll give it to like a food truck just uh-huh. to be cool but in in Hong Kong they have such a high uh, proportion of these Michelin starred places um, and and not all of them are are high end a lot of them are actually really affordable and Hong Kong has these places like these really great hidden restaurants Mm -hmm. that might be in the middle of a strip mall or it could be in like in the middle of a train station. Mm -hmm. Hong Kong in general, you kind of have to think about space in a different way because to find addresses is very difficult (laughs) and you have to think not just linearly. It's hard to explain. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I was going to ask you, I was like, if you could elaborate on that because the first thing that I thought of because I've never... I've never been out of the country, but the first thing I thought of when you said it's like hard to like figure out, I'm like, I thought of like San Francisco. I'm like, yeah, that place is annoying as hell. <laughs> well, cause you might have to go up yeah. some stairs. You might be on one level, you might be on another level and then dimensions. Like uh-huh. it's, it's supremely confusing, but also like a little adventure. But it takes forever to find anything. At least it took me forever to find any place I was actually looking for. So it's like a mall because that's how I feel like when I look at the director. I'm like, where the fuck am I? (laughs) Yes, it's a lot like, I mean, with some places, they are inside of a strip mall, basically. Oh, shit. And you don't expect them to be, right? And Uh the strip malls can be tons and floors. So it's just, yeah, it's very unusual because if you think about north american strip malls you're thinking those places there's probably not a lot of really good restaurants inside of them whereas you can have a really good one inside of a strip mall in hong kong and you can have it inside of a train station which train stations in japan or hong kong are, are are filled with shops and and they're just very they're kind of like malls themselves That's really interesting because, like, the first thing that I think of when it's, like, eating at a train station, I'm, like, maybe, like, a bacon wrap hot dog best case, if not something, like, pretty crusty. So I'm, like, I'm really intrigued by that. Like, it kind of makes me want to go over there just to kind of experience what you're talking about. 
Oh, I think you'd find it very interesting. I, I, I did. I don't think I thought I would enjoy Hong Kong as much as I did. Hmm. Also, it's, it's, it's got, well, it's got a lot of really interesting places and, and things that you can visit for free. Hmm. And then yeah. it's got a lot of nature, which is, I guess, what I did not fully expect cool. uh, oh, because cool surrounded by water and there's hiking trails and things like that so that wasn't really what i was thinking when i was picturing hong kong but that's the thing unless you go to a place it's really hard to understand mm -hmm. when i was going to work in morocco i was trying to just figure out what i should pack for clothes because <laughs> of the culture right it's yeah. um it was some um religious culture and women you know i wasn't sure if women were supposed to cover up and, yeah. and i was trying to be respectful so I talked to different people and also looked at videos and some women said, oh, it's totally fine. You can just dress however you want. And others were like, no, you have to fully cover up. Mm. And then I watched videos and I would see these women dressed in these traditional clothes completely covered up. And I was just so confused. And when I got there, I realized, well, first of all, I was there during Ramadan. So people were much more observant than they probably would have been normally. Oh, okay. But if you're not from there, they don't necessarily care what you wear as long as you're not disrespectful and wearing like really skimpy clothes, especially in the middle of Ramadan. Yeah. I, I wore relatively conservative clothes, but not anything too, you know, insane. I, that would have been weird, actually, if I went and wore like the, the, the types of clothes that the women wore there, I, I think that would be a very strange thing for me to do. <laughs> no, yeah, that'd be extremely odd. I'd be, I mean, I, I've heard some stories, so I'd be like, if I were in your position, I would have been scared. I would have been like, I don't want them to throw me in jail or kill me. So I would have been like super like, yeah, I mean, I don't think Morocco is quite in that not that way not morocco per se but i guess i'm thinking of other like third world countries oh yeah, like... yeah some other countries are, are there are definitely some countries where it's a little bit more i mean that's why you definitely have to research places oh. before you go there um i do you know i want to observe the custom of the land because mm -hmm. i'm a visitor to that land uh -huh. so whatever my beliefs and values are i do feel like a certain responsibility to adhere to the values of where I'm at, wherever I'm going because I'm a visitor but I also yeah it was such a cultural experience and it was hard to know okay can I go out as a woman um, anywhere will I have any issues and the answer I guess is depends on where you are uh -huh. and and I, I have a tendency to be very independent and wander around. And when I first got there, I didn't really even know anybody. Uh -huh. So I nice. went out for dinner and wandered around. And I was fine, actually, but a little bit nervous. Yeah. <laughs> but then when I told people that I was walking around on my own, um, especially we, I was working with Navy SEALs. Uh -huh. They were like, no, you can't do that. And you yeah. need to call us if you want to go out. And I'm like, I don't want to have to call the Navy SEALs every time I'm going <laughs> to go out. No, yeah. But I, it, I'm the same way. I'm pretty much a wanderer as well. <laughs> it's not exactly like me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, that's the most fun way. But also, I guess, as a woman... There is a higher risk uh, yeah. in, in there because I did hear a story like I, w I wanted to 
um, when I was working there, like I, I had, I wanted to wrap up earlier than other people. So I didn't have a ride back to the hotel, but we weren't that far from the hotel. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to walk back. Mm-hmm. And one of the producers heard me say that. And she was like, no, you're not. That's incredibly dangerous. And she insisted on getting me a car. <laughs> Very thoughtful of her. Uh-huh. We took the lead actor's car. Oh, <laughs> my God. Um, being John Krasinski. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? I was going to assume that, but I was like, oh, probably not. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, while he while John was changing, he doesn't probably even know that this happened. I <laughs> the driver. That's uh, the driver hilarious. drove me to the hotel and I was like, oh, and I felt kind of guilty about it yeah. because I'm like, oh, it probably wasn't such a big deal. And then I heard later that night there was a woman from our crew who was walk, you know, she went out, maybe had a few drinks and was walking back to the hotel and a bunch of men tried to grab her and, and, you know, and luckily some people in a hotel saw that and and intervened. Uh So you never know. Like I would say, but you know, it's, 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 it can be risky. It can be risky anywhere, but it is a little bit more risky probably in that part of the world. I'm sure it is. I I mean, I guess I just want to start off by saying I'm glad you're safe because that gave me a little bit of anxiety. (laughs) Yes, yes. I mean, and, and it gives me as, as independent I am, I still get nervous and, yeah. and, and anxious. And, uh, you know, I, I did walk around like market and yeah. one of my favorite cities was Eswara, which is this beach town in uh-huh. Morocco. And it's just it's kind of hip and bohemian. Uh-huh. And I did walk around the market there by myself. And uh-huh. I think that was fairly safe. Uh, except for people constantly trying to get you to buy things, which did start to get me a bit agitated. Mm. And I was, and it was interesting because no one was rude to me uh-huh. until I was just kind of fed up. Okay. And that was the only time somebody was a little bit rude because I was, I didn't, I didn't give them positive energy, <laughs> right? Oh, really? So I wasn't, I wasn't terrible to them or anything, but yeah. I did get kind of fed up and that was probably showing in my tone of voice. Uh, yeah. You honestly, you sound a lot like me <laughs> already off of the bats. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot of things except you're a lot more articulate. That's like a huge difference right there. And obviously I'm clumsy, but well, let, let me ask you this as well. Um, I guess when you were over there, well, b- before I get to the question, I'm start with off with the comment you're ballsy <laughs> and oh, then the the question is um i mean what experiences did you have over there in morocco what did you end up doing while, while you were working uh well because i was wor- working on a show called jack ryan which is a spy show which Badass. is amazing yeah that's like my favorite genre now i'm gonna um, watch it i've always wanted to watch it obviously because i'm a basic hoe and i'm like john krasinski the office but like i've never gotten around to it but like now i really want to watch it <laughs> Yes, and when Del Pierce, who's like such a nice person, he's 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 also one of the leads, and uh-huh. just a really he was on the wire, I think. Oh, okay. um, yeah, and he's a fantastic actor and a really lovely human as well. Uh-huh. Um, so there were a lot of explosions, and I <laughs> really enjoyed that. <laughs> and I stood way too close to some of them. Uh, that was probably not a good idea, and I was covered with like debris from the explosions but it was really fun and it was cool because you get to work with people 
like the Moroccan crew, but also international people mm. and also people that are, you know, American. So it was really, really a dream. Mm. Um, but I also had some free time. So I got to explore a little bit and I had um, made a friend who spoke French. So we, you know, he was very helpful <laughs> when we went around because uh-huh. he was also a very open, friendly easygoing person Uh more than I am and and so being with him I think we had some really great interactions with people locally just Mm. because he was so willing to engage and I think a lot of times when people travel they're kind of freaked out and close off and so you don't have these like genuine um really communications or interactions with people mm. especially when they're trying to just sell you things right yeah <laughs> but they're also yeah. human beings so if you get can get past just the selling part which is perfectly fine people should be able to sell you things yeah but if you know you but you're you can really get to uh, a different place with them and really get to know them mm. that's why shopping when you're traveling is such a fun thing yeah um, this is my other thing, by the way. My other addiction is travel, traveling, and travel writing as a result to sustain some of my habits. That's really cool. I mean, that's one of that's been one of my biggest things. Just wanting to, just to travel. I mean, I've well, I went to Hawaii on my own. Like literally, I had no plans. I'm like, fuck it, let's let's see what happens. Like a few months ago, just because I've been having this bug. I'm like, because I all my life I've been waiting for like, oh, I'll wait till my friends get money, or I'll wait till like my friends can do this yeah. and that. And I'm like, you know what? Screw all of you guys. I'm like, if nobody's like ever down to plan, I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna figure it out. Let's let's see what the hell happens. And so that that's kind of been like my thing. I'm nowhere near as cool as, as heading out to Morocco, but that I'm jealous of that. How l- let me ask you this as well. How I, I guess from an outsider's perspective, because I don't know anything about like the acting industry, but how easy it is is it to talk to someone like John Krasinski or is there like people that are like always like near him that are like get the hell away from him, or how is that whole scene? Well, that's a little bit different when I'm working on, because in, in that particular situation, I was a unit publicist. So whenever I work in that capacity, uh-huh. which is basically I'm like the storyteller uh-huh. of the production. So I will, you know, if there's media that comes to set, I, I work with them. Mm-hmm. I might arrange some interviews. I do the interviews myself. It was like video interviews. Uh-huh. And then I'll... Um, what do what what else do I do? I write. I often will write like an eighty-page document Jeez. that's sort of the history of the production oh, <laughs> called okay. production notes. Yeah, and and I'm the conduit between the studio and the production. So my job entails really getting to know everyone and actors included. Of course, are a big part of it. Actors, directors, but also like literally every single person on set because. I just think the best, I, I, I love knowing everyone uh-huh. and, and I try to, as much as I can take the time to get to know every single person, regardless of their role. Mm-hmm. But the actors, you know, you, you definitely form relationships because you need to have those in order to do your job properly. Okay. So, yeah. So usually you're not, you know, being kept, <laughs> But you know, some people, uh, so some people definitely have more guards than than others. Is all I could say about that. Definitely, was he more relaxed, at least for for him personally, or how, how was he? I mean, yeah, is he a relaxed, uh, outgoing mm-hmm. person? Yeah. How was Jim? <laughs> I was Jim. 
yeah, he wasn't very gym like but he was good with the press, you know, we did uh -huh. have uh, press visits and he was very entertaining and engaging mm -hmm. and uh, we had like two photographers on that particular movie, uh -huh. uh, I mean, you know, and uh, yeah, it, it, it was a fun, I actually brought my camera, which is not normally what I would do, but mm -hmm. one of the producers at the time, he knew I was into photography, he's like, you should take your camera to Morocco. Oh, okay. And just like, yeah, okay. So I, when we're, whenever we were on these like really cool locations that I normally would never get to, because some of them are super remote, okay. like we were in, I mean, Morocco is such a strange place to figure out because on the one hand, you can go to a mall that's incredibly posh and air conditioned and fancy. And then you'll go to a place and it has people still using camels and horses. So it's, it's very different in different parts of it. Mm -hmm. That's literally actually what I pictured in my head when you first told me that you were out there in Morocco. <laughs> Oh wow! That well, that's that's accurate because I couldn't figure it, I couldn't figure out how modern it is or not, and I'm sure pricing wise, it's probably really expensive in certain parts uh -huh. and really really inexpensive in other places. And I will say, I was very impressed with their grocery stores. I have a grocery store fetish, so everywhere <laughs> I go, I always go into grocery stores, and sometimes just like just I don't buy anything. Uh, <laughs> But I like to compare prices <laughs> and like what's out there, what uh -huh. the dairy section looks like, what the candy's like. Like yeah. they're really important. Yeah. How actually how was the candy over there? It was really good. I there was actually like a French bakery, the hotel I was staying in. Uh -huh. It's interesting for the hotel since I'm not staying there anymore, uh -huh. is the Savoy. Um and the Savoy is like this really, really fancy hotel in, in England. Okay. And this one is also a Savoy, but it costs a lot less to, to stay there. Uh -huh. But it was really posh looking. Like it was still very nice, but but very Moroccan, but like cooled. It was so hot there. I got out of the plane and it was 45. Uh, well, okay. I don't know what it is in Fahrenheit. I'm being Celsius. Uh, let me see. It was incredibly hot. Let me see. And when I went to the pool, I burnt my feet just walking on the floor. Ouch. That's how hot it was. Holy yeah. shit. 40, uh, 45 degrees. It's one, it was 113 in Fahrenheit. Holy shit. That's yeah. like Arizona yeah. temperature. Yeah, it's horrible. And that some days were even more, but that was like the normal status quo temperature mm. when I was there. God, and there was no air conditioning in the cars. I was very upset about that. Why didn't they have like, air conditioning over yeah. there in the cars? Yeah, because, uh, well, there's a lot of corruption. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like Mexico. I, yes. I mean, there's a lot of corruption. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure we, <laughs> I don't, we definitely bribed, the production definitely bribed people. Uh, with police uh -huh. I mean, yeah, it's not a typical place to shoot in. It's not like uh -huh. it's. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to name a place like third world, second world, Got first you. world. Uh -huh. But it's like, but it's definitely different in terms of how things run there. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if I were them, knowing myself, and I had the money and the opportunity, I'd probably try to bribe them too. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> Well, I'd probably be the person asking for the bribe. <laughs> Let's be real. 
<laughs> just kidding. I have nothing to offer. So. Yeah. Well, how long were you over there? I was over there for just about a month or okay. so, and then we went to Paris, which was very fortunate. You went to Paris after? Yeah. <laughs> what? Like, was Seriously, that for the that production? Was my best job ever. What? Was that for production or just like you're living your best? Yeah, life? no, it was for pr- it was for production. What the hell? I'm telling you, this was like my dream job. It, it was. Basically, Amazon reached out to me because I've worked on Men in the High Castle, uh-huh. and I assumed it was something, you know, in the same city as me. Uh-huh. And when I got on the call with them, they're like, well, no, actually, it's an international production, and it's a spy show, <laughs> and you leave two more. <laughs> well, not quite, but <laughs> I was I- like, okay, let me fi- <laughs> They're like, do you, l- let's give you a day to think about it. I'm like, yeah, sure. Actually, I don't need to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> I feel like the spy thing is what sold you the most almost. A hundred percent. I mean, my I write about I've written about spies. I became friends with spies because Oh really? Um former spies, I should clarify. Okay. So that's been something like uh, for Playboy, my first story for them was actually like I interviewed a spy that I actually became friends with <laughs> because of the story. Yeah, what was the story about? I, I I saw that you that you had written for Playboy, which I thought was very interesting. But how you were too afraid to ask what it was. <laughs> what happened? No. What I said, you were probably too afraid to ask what it is that I wrote. For I, I was a little hesitant, but now I really want to know. <laughs> okay. Well, the first story that I did for them was about the evolution of the female spy in pop culture. Ooh, okay. And so I interviewed a real life spy for the story or former real life spy. Uh-huh. Um, and then I've, I've done other stories for them where that were more like tech or how uh-huh. to improve your mind <laughs> so not the kinds of things that uh people expect to be in playboy i think the sexiest story was probably the first one <laughs> yeah no because that's definitely not what i was expecting so that threw me off when i was reading on that but yeah okay this is a this is definitely a personal question how did you get into the industry like what steps did you take how like what did you work towards like how did you get these skills and so forth because like you know, you're already selling me i'm like no i didn't know i wanted to do this till now <laughs> oh no don't do it you think it's, it's bad? funny well it's funny my um i thought every time you say this is a personal question i'm like on my tiptoes i'm like you can ask me about my relationship status oh no i'm sorry <laughs> no it's okay <laughs> I mean, what? What's I mean, your there's really status? nothing personal there, but um, but in terms of how I got started, that was the question, right? Yes. Like, how did you get started? What what skills did you have, or you didn't have, and how did you acquire those to be in the position where you're at now? Okay, you'll find this maybe a little bit humorous, but so I I started out I think more than anything because I really wanted to have these conversations with interesting people, mm-hmm. and I couldn't just come up to them and say hey person i would love to just talk to you for an hour or two Uh that would be kind of mistaken for stalking or weirdness (laughs) so Uh journalism seemed to be the logical answer Uh and then in terms of the skills (laughs) well here's the thing i Uh I wasn't very interested in espionage (laughs) i'm dying over here 
I would read books on psychology, how uh-huh. the brain works. I read books on interrogation techniques. Oh, shit. I ended up working for a PI agency as a researcher uh-huh. oh, for shit. a while. Okay. So I think some of this probably helped. But also <laughs> I created an online magazine back when <laughs> I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I, <laughs> I, I designed the website. I coded, you know, I did everything. I did okay. the coding. And um, I grew it to about 600,000 visitors a month, oh, which shit. is pretty good considering how hard that is to do nowadays. Yeah. And then I, but I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't think it was going to last as long as it did. And, oh. and I ended up having to shut it down because, you know, I, at the time when I started it, I was like 16 years old. Oh, shit. <laughs> and I didn't have a lot of time to dedicate once I got into intense university. Yeah. So I, but I, I guess it might have been even less than 16 because I ran it for a while and I shut it down at some point when I was still in university. I'm not sure about the timeline anymore, but that's sort of how I got started when uh-huh. I was writing for, for other things. And and also, I, I think my very first published article that I got paid for, I was 15 or 14. Oh, shit. And... I just, at the time, I couldn't find a traditional job because I'm such a klutz. Like, <laughs> folding clothes in the mall and the store, I just would never get that job. They'd fire so, me. Yeah. And, you know, with something like 50 bucks for the story, which now, I guess, is not a lot of money, but mm. to a teenager for maybe an hour or two of work, yeah. that's a lot of money. Oh, for sure. The first thing I would think of is, like, we go into the liquor store, we finna feast right now. <laughs> We're li- I'm rich now. Yeah, it's like, give me 30 Funyuns, thanks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, and then I started just pitching to uh, magazines that I wanted to write for. Uh-huh. The only one I never ended up doing that for that I that was on my hit list, still is on my hit list, mm-hmm. actually, is The New Yorker. I really, really want... But I never pitched anything to them except for, mm-hmm. okay, this is kind of funny too, <laughs> poetry. And here's the thing. I don't really write poetry, uh-huh. but I would pitch poetry to them. <laughs> <laughs> You're and, hilarious. You should be a comedian. <laughs> and I would get, I got this rejection letter. Uh-huh. And it was more personalized. And I thought, that's really interesting. This is not the typical rejection letter that they send. Uh-huh. And I Googled it and turns out I got tier two rejection, which means they incur- they said that they liked my writing, wasn't 100% right right now, but they would love to encourage me to resubmit again in the near future when I'm ready. Uh-huh. Their tier two rejection letter. So I'm a tier two rejectee of the New Yorker. This so is my claim to. The real question is when are you going to submit more poetry to the New Yorker? Right. Yeah. Oh, I really should. I mean, I think I, <laughs> it would be like this submission. I would do like a once a year. I think I stopped right after I got my two tier rejection because <laughs> I just felt like I couldn't top that, you know? Yeah. That's so fucking interesting. Wait, what kind of poetry? Like, what did you send them? What, what was the topic and, and whatnot? Basically, they were song lyrics. <laughs> uh-huh. So, I mean, song lyrics are kind of poetry, right? True. Leonard Cohen is a poet to me, but his, you know, but he has melodies. 
that go with his poetry. He also has normal poems, but you know, <laughs> no one knows those. You, what's fucking crazy to me is that you unintentionally capitalized the time, the era that you were in, and it exploded to to something that set you up for where you're at now. That's absolutely like, insane to me. <laughs> So then, but I still, I still need to get into the New Yorker. I, I think it needs to be, it needs to be a poem. Like I feel yeah. like it, that's the only thing that really makes sense is, is for me to have a poem published I, at some point. I would genuinely be mad if it wasn't a poem. I'm like, that's fucking perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a cartoon could also be like a satirical cartoon or something. Yeah. I mean, I can't draw, nor do I have any talent in that capacity, but that would be a good way in. <laughs> that would be I mean mock Wall Street they reject it right away they're like yeah we're not gonna center that tier two rejection right now <laughs> <laughs> I should start I should say I, I have these um drawings that I do of uh-huh. people usually on set when I'm on set uh-huh. I'll I if I like people I'll, I'll do drawings of them uh-huh. but they're these really strange characters <laughs> with long necks with like <laughs> yeah, I don't know I have a style I have no talent in art, but I have a style. I have absolutely zero talent. I I'm so bad. I never progressed past kindergarten. I can't even draw the sun in the corner without there being like a huge fail. They're like, Jesus, what the fuck is this? I'm like, I I genuinely tried. I don't. I, I can't. Mm. I can't do anything like that. I'm like, I, I remember I had a project in fifth grade. They're like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, I literally spent like three times as much as everyone. I'm like, I really tried. <laughs> Have you ever done a paint by numbers? That could be a good way to go. Oh, which one? Paint by numbers. Uh, I don't think so. I, I've only tried like. It's actually very relaxing and meditative. I actually enjoyed it far more than I ever thought I would. I've only done one, but it, I was just kind of addicted to it. I mean, my paints were terrible. My brushes were horrible, yeah. but it was still kind of fun. And then I used the leftover paints combined with makeup <laughs> to, to do my own painting. Yeah. It's my first ever on canvas painting. I would love to see that. Have you ever done the um the painting and wine things that they've had? Like the I was thinking of that just as I was talking. Yes, I have not done that. It, uh, it would be a fun thing to do, I think. I've that's probably the only other experience that like I've thought about doing because I'm not like I said I'm not an artist, but I'm like yeah, if there's alcohol, sure, fuck it. Like that's that's my selling point. I'm like say less. I think the point is to really just be in the moment with yeah. it also something like the buddha board i don't know if you've heard of that it's basically this canvas and you paint using water and it evaporates so you know it's about the temporary nature of, of everything but your art you, you can't get attached to it because it's just going to evaporate and it's kind of a neat I, I used to give oh, them shit. out as gifts. Uh-huh. I think they're kind of a neat gift. They look. I'm looking at it right now. It looks pretty modern. I I think that's really cool. And that's a whole like interesting thing. Like it, what you just said right now in regards to the art that it disappears. That's odd. Yeah. Well, I have problems because I get attached to everything. I'm. I I definitely have a hard time getting rid of things. And uh-huh. and. Yeah, I, I get too sentimentally attached to objects that really shouldn't matter much, uh-huh. but I have these stories embedded in everything, uh-huh. which makes it really difficult to throw things out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to be better at it because 
it's no way to live uh-huh. but <laughs> but I think something like the Buddha board just kind of reminds you like there should be no attachments and when you create art you can create it just to be there in the moment and for that moment mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to last it, it's just that moment it's like a conversation you know that's mm-hmm. not recorded like this one is mm-hmm. but if you have a conversation with someone you know after a while no one might even you know nobody's even going to remember it potentially mm-hmm. but you still had that experience you had those moments of you know exchange and presence and that that's all that really matters at the end of the day. And I say it like this, but really I'm, I'm a messed up individual. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a fleeting moment, essentially. It's a fleeting moment, but I feel like I've been saying this stuff. Like I have wisdom uh-huh. and I don't, I have, no, you have some lots level of wisdom. Of don't say that. <laughs> well, cause I, this is how I define wisdom as opposed to knowledge. Okay. Knowledge is knowing the answers but wisdom is experiencing them. So I know the answers to a lot of things, I think, but I don't experience them, right? I can't always live them. And people who are truly wise, they just feel it. That in itself, that, makes- that in itself was wisdom though. I don't know if you realize that yourself. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't realize anything myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that really was. It's like, it's it's knowing that you don't know anything, which applies to me in particular. But it's like, and so that way you're not getting ahead of yourself like most people that think they have answers to every single little thing, you know? Well, we know some things, but it is generally true that the more we know, the more we don't know because we realize just how much there is mm-hmm. out there to know. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was, I was, I think I tweeted this, uh, the other day, but it was because I had a triggered thought is like, okay, if you're the smartest person in the room, you probably should go to a different room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Cause you oh, want to yeah. be around, you want to be around people who are smarter than you have uh-huh. different perspectives or more interest, you know, uh, it's, it might feel nice for the ego sometimes to be the smartest person in the mm-hmm. room, but it serves, does not serve you in any way mm-hmm. because you want to be surrounded by people you can learn from people can challenge you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm happy to be, you know, I, I have an ego, so I'm not always happy about it, mm-hmm. but if I'm the dumbest person in the room, it's, it's not a bad thing, right? It means mm-hmm. that I've at least surrounded with myself with people I can learn from. That said, I think I'm very competitive. So sometimes I do want to be the smarter person in the room. I think, I think that's one of the things that have contributed to where you're at. Aside from the incidental um, climb in the very beginning, I think the competitiveness is what, what's put your standards up to, to being up there with the top of every single uh, I guess I mean like for writing, for photography. Apparently, I I I'm, I would assume typewriting as well. Correct? <laughs> well, I don't know, but I but I definitely think that it's funny because I never realized I was competitive uh-huh. until fairly recently. Okay. I had this epiphany, and then I told my friend, "I'm like, did you know I found out that I'm competitive?" And my friend goes, "Uh." Yeah, duh. I'm yeah. Like, what? How did you know this? But uh, but it's not so competitive that I'm necessarily competing against other people most of the time, unless I don't like them. Then I probably am. <laughs> yeah. Out of spite. I've done but that. But when it comes to competitiveness, I think it's more about 
just a I, I want to achieve a higher level of of excellence right mm-hmm. or i want you know i'm not happy writing for some tiny publication unless i'm doing something very you know valuable uh-huh. um like a valuable story but i want to go for like the biggest that i like reading you know that was my standard when i was starting oh, out okay. which is incredibly ambitious i guess but what i noticed with a lot of people they kind of go oh i'm not ready I'm, you know, let me pitch to some tiny thing that probably doesn't even pay. And they talk themselves out of doing these things. And my attitude was, why not? Mm -hmm. What's the worst that's going to happen? Well, they're going to reject me, but they're really going to reject an idea that I have. I'm not even that great with ideas. And, you know, it's an idea. You can have lots of other ideas. Now, if I, you know, they said, what a brilliant idea, Catherine. We'd love for you to write about this, but please send send us some samples of your stories that you previously wrote. And then they go, I'm sorry, we changed our mind because we didn't like your writing. That would be pretty hurtful. Yeah. But most of the time, it's the idea that gets rejected. So, so what? Right. So you just want to knock on as many doors as you can that you're interested in opening. I wholeheartedly agree with that. There was this you just reminded me of something I forgot I even did. I you're you're correct. So that's actually my mentality for the most part. I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? I get a no. I get rejected. Right. For me, I don't I don't remember how I did it, but I ended up creating like this. It sounds so bad. You're going to judge me. Everyone's going to judge me, but I kind of don't care. Uh, I, I created this fake website. <laughs> I copied a few articles and like I like it looked kind of legit, kind of. And I um, I created like this like fancy like email with like some at other than Gmail or Hotmail or whatever. I don't even remember what the hell it was. It was like at publicist or something like that. And I submitted my um, like I wanted to interview like a bunch of um, people like at comic-con and i gotta i gotta prove to like go to comic-con like in san diego la and like a, a few other spots too like the grammys like but i oh, bit wow. but i bitched out because <laughs> i wasn't legit <laughs> oh no you should have just done it i mean they decided you were legit so I, you know it was where the, you to say you're not i know it was the funniest thing i just like having them like you're approved i'm like do you guys not check <laughs> Clearly they didn't, but they should. You're correct. They were like, here's your print pass or your press pass if you want to go. And I was like, I I, I was like, I don't know how to dress. I don't like, but this, I was like four years younger. I was, I was 22. Mm -hmm. So I was like even more timid than I am now. So I see that's that's nerve wracking. And and it was nerve wracking for me too. I would go to these because I started out doing like, uh, movie reviews uh-huh. and so I would get invited to these press screenings mm-hmm. and it was all middle-aged men and me <laughs> there's maybe occasionally a woman in there but uh-huh. most people were still middle-aged and I was definitely the youngest person in the room yeah. and it was so awkward I was very uncomfortable um, some writers did take me a little bit under their wing okay um, now looking back at it, I don't know how appropriate that was. <laughs> their intentions were, but uh, oh, shit. let's pretend that they were. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, like I had one person assign me to watch uh, one old movie uh, a day. Uh-huh. And uh, so I, I, I grew my knowledge of movies. Mm. And um, 
but I did, I did feel awkward at first. And then, and then also I will say, cause now I feel more comfortable being sort of immature and silly, mm. but because I was so young in the space that was of people a lot older than me, I wanted to seem much more mature and older. And yeah. so I pretended that I was older than I was and I behaved in a particular way and I dressed a particular way because I didn't want people to know how young I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, they probably uh, knew anyways, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that, that's so interesting. You pretty much had, uh, whether you realize it or not, you had the um, like the fake it till you made it kind of attitude or mentality. To a certain extent, yeah. yeah, because you feel, but I think that attitude sometimes comes out of insecurity mm-hmm. and and wanting to fit in and not feeling accepted. Uh-huh. And and I think once you don't have that fear, like you can be a little bit more authentic to who you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was still pretty quirky at the time, just I can't help that. Uh-huh. I'm, I was probably more neurotic than I am now. Stop. <laughs> We're just saying, not saying much. Um, but oh my God. it's <laughs> like a double negative right now. What? That was a double negative. That was like back to back. That was hilarious. Sorry. <laughs> I think I was like a Woody Allen character in a way because I, I think I, so. It was this like level of neuroticism that was just. <laughs> And I think to some degree, I might have even pumped it up a little bit, uh-huh. you know, because I felt like people responded well to that when mm-hmm. you're like, you know, a young woman, kind of precocious, you want to, you know, people respond to that sort mm-hmm. of thing well, mostly. Uh-huh. Yeah. And now I think the neurotic part is is not really there so much anymore. Mm-hmm. Not so much anymore. No, I I, I got well, you. I, I mean, I don't know. You tell me. Uh, I think you are very quirky, but I think that's amazing. I think that, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I'm telling you the amount of loops that you've thrown me for is absolutely insane. But at the same time, like, I love it. Like, I don't know. I, I almost don't even know how to how to explain it. But I am going to do this right now. I'm going to make you nervous. Are you ready? Oh, yes. We're so ready to be nervous. Uh, Yeah, I know. (laughs) On a personal level or a personal question, what are some things that you haven't thrown away that have a lot of meaning and and what is it and and what meaning does it have? Oh, that's a fantastic question. That said, I haven't thrown much at all. (laughs) Are you a hoarder? I'm, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like I, I think in my parents' home I still have like all my stuffed animals and Aww. I won't let them come out, which is probably horrible. Of they really want to. <laughs> but I have a story for all of them and they all have names and oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm admitting to that. Um, okay, I will say one thing that I will not throw away and has a, a lot of meaning for me, but it's a little bit sad. Is okay. that okay? That is perfectly okay. Okay, well, it's my my dog's uh, collar. Um, I I I will forever keep that. She was like, I had my dog for eighteen years. She was the most incredible dog. She's traveled across different countries with me, mm-hmm. had many adventures, um, growled at me, bit me, but also loved me. And I, you know, when they say dogs love unconditionally, I don't know about that, but I loved her unconditionally. <laughs> oh. There, there we are. That's so. We'll sweet. never throw that away. 
That's so sweet. When, um, how long, like, how long did you have her for? I know it was 18 years, but I guess the question is, like, what, like, how, like, when did you get her and, and when, yeah. She passed away. It, it, it's been a while, actually. Uh, it's been, like, 10 years, and uh, I, I really, really struggled with losing her. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I think not everyone kind of gets unless oh. they have the same feeling for their um, dogs. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, and the question that people right away would ask is like, oh, when are you getting a new puppy? Mm-hmm. And I know they meant well, but it was so painful. Um, like- but she was, you know, she's there all the time and, and she was, she was amazing. And yeah, at 18, I mean, she was still, she's doing tricks and she's, oh. she was able to go on her, you know, she had, she had no issues until, you know, she had, uh, um, the issue that she did Mm -hmm. but she was an amazing amazing dog and so smart like Mm -hmm. i don't know she was a genius high high dog iq (laughs) that's really cute that's actually uh it's funny that you that you kind of say that because i don't know if you realize um or if you've heard but a lot of people i'm sure you you kind of know this at least to some extent but a lot of people got a lot more dogs during the beginning of covid like when when they were home but now there, there's a, I think there's a surplus because so many people are returning the dogs. Back yeah, I to think the that's shelters. such a, I was worried about that because mm. I hate that. Like the idea that you can just take a dog yeah. and then change your mind, like that's not okay. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to get on my high horse, but it's yeah. not because you're, you know, you're adopting, you're making, it's like, it's, I don't think it's different than adopting a child, mm-hmm. to be honest. I, because I, it's, it's, it's a creature that loves you and they can have psychological issues. And, you know, my dog was a rescue and, and she clearly had some kind of trauma and she was, she would have panic, full blown panic attacks whenever we would take her anywhere. And it took her a long time to feel like, okay, I own these humans now, (laughs) you know? Um, But, but it, but she was nervous and she has like feelings and emotions. And, and so I think people have to be, I really want to see people take animals and, mm-hmm. and, you know, have, especially from shelters, but mm-hmm. also be responsible and not bring them back and, you know, take good care of them. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to get a dog in the beginning, but just thinking about that is something that prevented me from, from doing so because I was like, I don't want to neglect my dog and it's but like so i just have them around for selfish reasons and i was and i'm kind of glad i did that because i mean seeing everything i'm like i just didn't i don't think i i would have um tried taking the dog back I, oh i know i wouldn't like if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna i'm gonna keep the dog yeah you're gonna do it yeah. i think you should but i mean when you feel like you're ready and you know um it is a big responsibility mm. in terms of you know even just having to take the dog out on walks or if you're traveling, mm. you know, you need to have someone you can leave the dog with. And so there's a lot to it. It, mm. it is a big responsibility, but mm. you know, also there are a lot of me. Yeah, I'm, I would like to eventually have another rescue. Uh-huh. I have been so heartbroken by her loss that it, it couldn't quite get there, but uh-huh. I'd like to eventually, you know, hopefully I can get there and have another dog one day. Mm-hmm. No, I I think, yeah, I was like, I mean, that's that's a very heavy thing to get past, especially if you had your dog for so long, and it's like it all. I feel like it almost feel like I mean, I'm not in the position, but I feel like it almost be like cheating on like a spouse that like has died, like it just yeah, it does dirty. it does 
feel like that, right? Yeah. Uh, that... It's weird. Yeah. What's your favorite memory with your dog? Um. Hmm. Or favorite so place many. that you traveled with your dog? You know, um, the story of my dog is kind of a neat one of how we got her. Mm-hmm. Um, she, I was really into Cocker Spaniels at the time as a kid because I really, because I, a neighbor's dog, which was being kind of neglected, mm-hmm. was a Cocker Spaniel. And so that's the only reason why I liked them. And my mm-hmm. parents saw an ad in the paper saying there's a Cocker Spaniel in the shelter. And they went to look not sure that they were actually going to take a dog home but just just in case Mm -hmm. so they went to the shelter and turns out the cocker spaniel that was just a bait dog didn't exist (laughs) that's how they were getting attention to the shelter wow and then yeah and then there were all these dogs going crazy barking loud not kept in really good condition and suddenly there's this little whelp that comes up Uh and all the other dogs go quiet and the dog just this little dog comes up forward and just starts asking them to take her home Mm -hmm. my parents weren't really ready then so they didn't and that night they couldn't sleep yeah (laughs) and they're like okay we're taking her home tomorrow (laughs) so they come back to the shelter but it's closed because they have to work and they see her and she starts digging in uh, a tunnel oh, <laughs> underneath really? her the house. Yeah. So she's digging in the tunnel to get to them. And they're like thinking, okay, well, if she gets out, we'll, we'll, we'll take her and then let them know in the morning. Mm-hmm. But then they got a little bit worried because, you know, she, they didn't want her to get hurt. And so the next day before the place opened, they were already there mm-hmm. and they brought her home and, she looked, you know, she had bubbles. She was not in a good condition. Mm-hmm. And I saw her and I was like in love with her right away. <laughs> that's so cute. It's like a story, but. <laughs> no, that's adorable. I mean, shit. I'm like, that's like love at first sight. I'm like, if I could 100%. find a spouse like that, that's how I'd want to feel. <laughs> no, that dog, she was, she was amazing. And. Yeah. It really was love at first sight. And I'm a germaphobe and she was like covered in gum and uh-huh. bad thing. Like she was not well, like she was, a, you know, not well groomed in any way. Uh-huh. And we're washing this dog was in like, <laughs> but, but I loved her. Like it just felt like family right away. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, it's just crazy. It's like certain things in your life you don't experience often, but it's like when you know, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely knew. <laughs> I am high key very jealous of you, oh, man. That's such a great story. Well, maybe you'll have your own story. Maybe, that's the thing. Maybe I'm just like I don't know. I've never I've never been to a shelter. I've never like really put myself out there. I have been to like a few dog stores, but I'm like if I do it, I should probably do it from a shelter. I, I like I almost feel like kind of like I obviously would mm-hmm. want like to to get one from like a store or anything or whatever, but I'd almost feel guilty at the same time. Yeah, well, I do think, I mean, not to make anyone ever feel guilty, but I do think I definitely do advocate uh, advocate for people to adapt from shelters and um, j- just because, you know, and, and not pure breed, breeds. And, mm-hmm. Well, first of all, they, le- they live longer, so it's also a benefit to you. Mm-hmm. But, um, but also, yeah, I mean, and certain dogs, 
have a harder time finding homes and I, I don't think I could do it, but like, for example, elderly dogs, right. Or that's probably a lot harder for an older dog to find a home, but I, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> given how hard broken he was, that would be a difficult one to me to yeah. handle, but some people are okay doing that. And that's really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think shelter dogs are, are, are the best mm-hmm. and worth giving a home to a hundred percent and then it's from there it's like i mean you're gonna create that that bond even though your dog wasn't unconditional you still had that unconditional love and i think that's what mattered the most exactly that's it i don't i don't care whether she loved me unconditionally the fact that i was able to love her unconditionally i think is more important i will say this she probably did love you unconditionally she was probably just sassy the same way i am every other Huh? Yes, you're you're right. She was absolutely sassy. Yeah. And I do I do agree. I do think she did. I think she just wouldn't put up with me when I was being clingy or needy. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. she could tell. Yeah. And she'd give me attitude and two. But when I, she really felt like I needed her, she was there. Yeah, I think I think that's really what it was, because I mean, I, I've been there. I'm like, even if there's people that I love, I'm like, I'm still like that. But at the end of the day, like, it's like I wouldn't trade them for anything. I wouldn't compromise for them and, and, and stuff of that sort, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. I, I really appreciate you sharing that story because I was, uh, I don't know, I, I, I fell in love with that story alone. And I'm like, I think I'm like, you're you do a really good job, like as a writer um bringing your stories uh into your make i mean everything that you say is pretty much a book and words it's great i don't know that's the best way i could put it for my well that's an amazing compliment i really appreciate that that, that's the best my uh unarticulate ass can do (laughs) well that was a pretty beautiful like i i take the sentiment in a very articulate manner into my (laughs) And to the depths of whatever is left of my heart. <laughs> I guess um, before I wrap this up, this is something I ask um, all my guests that um, that I'm very curious. No, what... I will not send you money. Stop oh, man, asking. I was hoping five dollars wasn't <laughs> enough or too much, but fuck, no, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay, fine. I didn't know it was that. Okay, fine, five dollars. No, fine. I'm just kidding. But what's um what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Ah, okay. Okay, this is a. I do have a good answer for this one. I mm-hmm. think um, I'm. I'm gonna even give credit to the person who gave me that piece of advice, and that person is John Patrick Shanley, who is a Pulitzer-winning playwright. He wrote Doubt. He also wrote, won an Oscar for um, for our Moonstruck for the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a lovely uh, writer. But so I've, I've just like pumped up this writer for some reason oh i'm, <laughs> I'm stoked i'm that. stoked this is what i meant by you bring your words <laughs> into reality like i feel like i'm there like you're picturing everything in my mind right now like it's crazy well i wanted to give it heft you know and, yeah. and i guess part the relevant part of his background is also that he was um i think he was a marine okay at one point and he had this amazing discipline, like he'd get up in the morning at five o'clock in the morning and he'd write and then he'd go do his, you know, blue collar job. Uh-huh. Um, but his advice is super basic, super simple, but really effective. And mm-hmm. that advice is do the hard thing first. 
if you think about it in terms of something that you want to do, especially something creative, mm-hmm. what's the thing that's stopping you from doing it? It's often the thing that you least enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. So maybe if I'm writing an article, I hate transcribing or maybe, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever that thing that hinders you might be, mm-hmm. that's the thing you do first. And so it clears the way for the things you actually like doing most. Okay. I think that, yeah, I think that's really, uh, really simple, but effective. Like you were mentioning, uh, man, that's one of the things that I do. Like I'm the worst. I, I always procrastinate. I always do like the easy things first and everything else. I'm like, eh, I'll get to it later. And the thing is that usually I never get to it or I have a very delayed exactly. time frame with getting to it. That's exactly right. Because you're, you're avoiding doing the, mm-hmm. you're avoiding doing the thing you don't want to do. Uh-huh. And then it keeps you from doing that thing that you actually do want to do. Mm-hmm. So as, as simple as that advice is, I actually think it's incredibly effective advice. Mm-hmm. And so that was really good advice. I, I guess another piece of advice that I got is I sent, um, I sent a script that I wrote to uh, a bunch of people, and including a, a certain actor who was at the time well, well known. Mm-hmm. And I got a bunch of messages, I got a bunch of uh, feedback and I went and I incorporated every single piece of advice into my rewrite. And so I sent to that actor, I sent my script, my revised script. And I said, Oh, don't, don't read the first draft, read the second. Mm -hmm. And he came back to me and he said, well, actually I read both of them. And he said, the first one, it had magic. The second one, something happened and the magic was all wiped away. And I explained to him, okay, that's interesting because my second draft, you know, I took all this feedback and I put it in and he said, don't do that. He said, if everyone's giving you the exact same advice, maybe listen to it. But if everyone's giving you different things, you have to listen to yourself. And that is also a piece of advice that really, really stuck with me. I, I that's my favorite one of the two actually I really like that one so I'm glad I brought the second one then <laughs> no yeah me me too thank you so much for sharing that I, I I don't listen to podcasts but this is gonna be one that I really listen to I've really enjoyed the time with you and and I appreciate it. my only regret is that I didn't get you on last week now <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm I'm really glad we got to do this and I really appreciate you asking me to be on here and I enjoyed chatting with you. I mean, it just speaks to the giant ego that I embody that I clearly <laughs> enjoy talking about myself a lot. <laughs> it was amazing. I'm like, I don't want you to change, so please don't. I hope that ego says I'm going to be the same. <laughs> so <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I hope my ego grows in, in better directions, but yeah. you need a little bit of ego. I mm-hmm. think if you're, if you're going to do anything in the world, that's going to have any kind of footprint. Mm-hmm. I think you can't really do that without any kind of ego because the ego says, I, I have something to say, or I have something of value. And if you don't have that, you're probably not going to use your voice. Ooh, that was a third great piece of advice, whether you realize it or not. I don't know how I got that even, but it just came Wait, wait, let's go back. You said you had no wisdom? (laughs) (laughs) 
I doubt that. It comes, it comes, you know, no. it comes as I talk. I, no. I don't actually know any of the things I'm going to say. I think you do. I think, about. I think, uh, no, I think you do. I think you're crazy. I think that's one thing your ego should be cocky about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. I, I've got plenty of time. Heck that. yes. That's amazing. Oh, well, the benevolent uh, dictator. Oh, shit, Hitler. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Just yeah. kidding. but without without all the you know without horrible stuff genocide just the, just the dictator aspect of it yeah. you're just gonna take over oh wait speaking of dictator last thing <laughs> what the hell's catherinology <laughs> oh well that's a really good one to end on um yeah. catherinology happens to be my own personal cult <laughs> how do i sign up well, um, you know what? It caught. I do have membership dues. I have five dollars. Um, I, <laughs> I know Patrick. Patrick Star. Quarter. I take no more or no less. It, it it has to be a quarter. Just send me it where I can Venmo it. I'll send it right now. Yeah, perfect. Uh, usually it's in cash, but these are tough, challenging times. So <laughs> <laughs> I have and and just like other cults, I I've been trying to you know have a lot of famous members and oh. I also have a secret handshake and yeah. we have a newsletter. No, we don't have a newsletter, <laughs> but we do have occasional group meetings and gatherings of the mind, as I like to call them a days of worship. Essentially. Okay. Scientology. Who Tom Hanks can suck it. You can't say these words and also not Tom Hanks. You mean Tom Cruise. Oh fuck. See, I'm see. Oh my God. You know, one thing about me that's horrible is that I don't know anything about movies or like the, the best I know for movies. Yes, and, it's so horrible. You don't even know who belongs to which cult. I like know, how do you live I, with yourself? I, I mean, to be fair, I did mention I'm a peasant. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the far, the most of my extent that goes is like literally the office, how I met your mother um and probably iron man and some avengers movies and i think oh and naruto that's a weird one but that's about it that's well, i do like robert downey jr so i think we can get along on that one <laughs> on that one right yeah no i I'm, I'm definitely a fan of uh mr downey yeah G. no definitely <laughs> and i think some disney movies but that's literally it like i've, I've avoided like most shows and movies like the plague aladdin is, do you I, like aladdin yes i love aladdin actually okay we're good yeah, Aladdin is amazing. Oh my god, you you I call all to all my friends I call myself a street rat, so <laughs> that's so funny. Mainly because yes. I'm brown, but it's okay. <laughs> well that's a, you know, it's an appropriate title. I don't know if that's no, um but I love um yeah, I love I love Aladdin. Yeah. Such a good movie and ugh, Abu and carpet yeah oh my god i love this episode so much i'm just gonna post it at night i have so much i like backlog but i'm gonna just post this one tonight this is my favorite oh, that's in a awesome. minute. i know oh, I, that's so I i should i should be um patient but i'm not when like something's like like this i mean i loved it so thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it and it's been lovely to chat with you and i look forward to i will i will check out more of your uh, podcast as well <laughs> thank you um where can people follow you oh yeah if you'd like um, them to Sure. Yeah. Why not? Um, <laughs> um, so uh, my Twitter is probably the best place. It's at mysterious cat cat with a K K A T. 
Um, I did not go by the name Cat, just FYI, because people, because of my handle, people try to call me that, and I just, as a dog person, I am not uh-huh. comfortable with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and also, I mean, I, um, and I also have a podcast that's linked just through that, so so people can find it. But it's called Mind the Future, and I interview people about the future of everything that they do and love. And, and that was my plug. Awesome. I'll, I'll make sure I put that in, into the bio. Did you want me to put the Instagram as well or did you want me to uh, not do that one? We could just leave it at the Twitter. Awesome. I'll go ahead and do that. Again, thank you so much for your time. You were amazing. I'll, I'll post this up tonight personally and then you'll probably see it by the morning. But again, thank you so much for, for your time and just your wisdom and experience and, and everything. And don't even fight the wisdom because you were loaded with wisdom. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. And you're lovely. And, and I look forward to seeing more from you. And I really appreciate the, the chat. It was it cheered me up. I hope so. I hope so. If you ever need anything or you're bummed out, let me know. I'll I'll be a dumbass and try to try to bump up your mood. So. Listen, dumbasses are the best people. I agree. It's funny. I don't, I'm like, I, I don't want just like, uh, like, what is it? Like the vanilla ice cream cone from McDonald's. I want that three swirl mm-hmm. with the, van- with the strawberry, the chocolate, <laughs> the vanilla. And I, and I'd I like- know, but it's like the people who don't like have are not pretentious yeah. or just like themselves. Those yeah. are the best people. And those tend to be the people who also stand for something, which is, I think, very important in the world today. I think so too. I think, I think that's really important. And I really, I actually really appreciate that. So thank you so much. And hopefully I can get you on in the future sometime because I really enjoyed this conversation. Sounds great. Well, thanks so much. I did too. And have a great night. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. You're-